This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. You can't be cute on the road. It's it's simple, boring hockey, and you know it could be uh, could be good for us to to get out here for for a week. And uh, you know we're in one city, one spot for for a week, so it uh, it could be good for us. It's gonna be weird. Um, you know, I, we we kind of started together. We've played a long time together. Uh, won two cups, uh, a Calder Cup. Um, you know, I'm excited to see him, but it's going to be weird seeing him in, in a different uniform for sure. Yeah, I would say, right? I mean, that's different seeing Andre Plot with where he is and having a lot of success. Of course, his team's having a lot of success. And it's a good test for the Lightning tonight as they take on the New Jersey Devils. Are they the surprise team this year? Yeah, I think you could make a case considering where they were last year and where they are right now. We'll talk about it for the next hour or so. Greg Linelli with you along with Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick's our producer at Bolts Radio. We've got a lot of questions from yesterday's show that we did tape, so we want to get to all of those questions as well. And Partner, mm-hmm. you are on the road, all settled? Yeah, in the hotel. It was an yeah. optional skate today, and... and as I understand it, not even half the team went down to the rink. So in Jersey, in New Jersey, I should say, the team does not stay particularly close to the rink, which is in Newark. Usually they're in Jersey City or Hoboken, sometimes in Manhattan. If it's a, a Rangers-Devils, like a back-to-back situation, the team may just kind of headquarter in Manhattan. So... It's a little bit of a bus ride, and I think John Cooper, even though yesterday was a day off, John Cooper understood that, you know, let the guys spend the morning if they want in the hotel. So I took that option as well. It's a little easier sometimes for me to do the show from home base for me. So uh, I don't think we're missing that much in terms of not being at the rink. So we'll we'll see what the Lightning's lineup looks like tonight and we'll try and monitor the Sorelli yeah. situation he is on the trip so that is good news that is for good sure news. yeah and they'll be seeing a former teammate in Andre Pilat tonight yes. and a lot of different storylines partner but I, I think for the lightning they want to continue to find their game however you want to define that does playing a team like the devils force you to be a little bit more structured and to understand where you need to be. I don't want to say from an X's and O's standpoint, but you know, have an idea of missed assignments that shouldn't shouldn't be. Are you more buttoned up in what you need to be doing because of the team you're facing and, and the year they're having? It's a fair question. Well, look, Brian Engblom says this often. Sometimes you need to to be on the ice against an opponent to get a feel for how they play. And it's not like the Devils brought in like 15 new players this year. I mean, they have a lot of the same players that have been on their team, let's say going back to last year. I think what's different is that they are playing a more cohesive game. They are more in sync. And they play a very high-tempo game. That is what we've heard about them. So... The Lightning may take a little bit to get a feel for what their opponent is all about. I guess the good news is that they see them three times this week. So by the Sunday game at Amelie, the Lightning should have a very good feel for what the New Jersey Devils are all about. 
but it may not be as simple as just what you said, Greg, which is, well, we're facing a, a really dynamic team. We can see on the stat sheet how dynamic they are, and I can spell out the numbers and what they tell us, and they can watch it on video until you actually get on the ice. There may be a little bit, or or even once you get on the ice, there may be a little bit of an adjustment period, and it may take the Lightning a little bit of time to to get a feel for what the Devils are doing so well and foiling the opposition. Basically, throughout the year, the Devils had one bad stretch in December, and that's been it. They had one rough, it was a nine-game segment. They won one game. They went 1-7-1 and one for a stretch of time in December. It wasn't even the whole month. Take that out, Greg. And we're not going to take it out because they had that struggle. But they got through it, and they came out the other side. If you eliminate that two-week span, two-and-a-half-week span in December, when the Devils went 1-7-1, and one, the rest of the year, they are 43-9-5. They've basically been a machine this year. And it's not that they're catching teams by surprise anymore. So I understand what you're saying, that the Lightning know that they have to be clicking and they need to be operating at a high level because the opponent that they're seeing has been playing at a high level. But sometimes you actually need to get out on the ice and and get a feel for it. We'll see. Maybe the, the Lightning are a surprise for the Devils, too. I mean, we'll sure. see. I don't think the Lightning are, are sneaking up on anybody, though. No, and I, I think, you know, you mentioned it yesterday and we talked about it. I mean, their young players just haven't gone through the playoff grind yet. Correct. Some veterans, and I, I think those guys will be valuable. But you are going to need, you know, your your young players like Jack Hughes, Heeshear, mm-hmm. Brat. to start. Brat, no doubt. Dougie Hamilton's having a great year, and he is one of the guys who does have playoff experience. I mean, basically, you look at the roster, it's Palat, it's Hamilton, and to some extent, Timo Meyer now. Because Meyer has not tasted a lot of, you know, playoff experience in the last couple of years, but he has been with the Sharks for a few years. Halla's had a little bit, right, Eric Halla? And, And yeah, he's another one. But you go down the list, and most of the other guys have not. I guess John Marino has. I mean, it's not deep experience because I think he arrived in Pittsburgh right. during the stretch when the Penguins haven't been able to win a series. But they go every year, right? So, I mean, he's gotten a little bit of experience consistently. He's got. But all taste. the other guys, all the other guys, it's going to be maybe their first playoff game. Yeah, he sheer he sheer was in in 2018, but the Lightning dispatched the Devils in in five games. Severson was in that series too. Yeah, Miles Wood too, maybe. What was Miles Wood? Was Miles Wood? Was he on the team? He probably would have been. All right, but I mean, are we counting a five game stretch as? No. What five years ago? No. I don't think. I mean, that's yeah. not that's not something you can kind of dig into. Jack Hughes and they're going to be going into this series it. with way more expectations yeah. than they had in that 2018 series, whoever played in that series against the Lightning. Although I think it's fair to say whoever they play in the first round, do you think they'd be the underdog? Well, if they get into first place, 
and they see a wild card team, I think they will be the favorite. Yeah. If they finish second and see the Rangers, I think they'd be the underdog. I think they'd be the underdog. Maybe they shouldn't be the underdog. I think they will be the underdog. Interesting how that all plays out. There's a, a little bit of a, a psychology edge there that you could you could play because the pressure would be on the Rangers, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Rangers are going to hold third, by the way? I, I mean, know. they have two I big think, games against Pittsburgh this week. I think they will. I think Pittsburgh probably needed to beat them in regulation the other day. And uh, you know, I think the Rangers are the better team. So my sense is they'll hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think dude, Pittsburgh's just been so up and down. I just, you know, you don't. Yeah, now they're up, though. Get. Yeah. I mean, since they had that four-game losing streak, they've lost, what, one game in Sunrise. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're really playing better. Them. Yeah, yeah, they're playing better for sure. The other guy is Vanacek, who, like those Washington teams, I, he was in the playoffs in all these years we're running together, Greg. I know. It was not the bubble year. It was the year after. They lost to the Bruins. They were a favorite. He was on that Washington team. But again, you're talking about like a cup of coffee. Blackwood's hurt again. He's been hurt a lot. But even when he was healthy, Vanacek was playing most of the games, I feel like. So I would expect that he's going to be their guy going into the playoffs. He's having a great year. But, I mean, again, somebody who is – there's a difference between – unproven and untested right so unproven would be a guy who has been in the playoffs regularly and hasn't been able to go very deep right with his team untested would be vanacek which is to say he just hasn't had the reps based on the the teams he has been on he's been in the minors most of his pro career Washington always seems to have good goaltenders, and then those goaltenders leave and seem to find more success elsewhere. <laughs> I know that's a broad stroke because Holpe had a lot of success with them. But you think about, like, Varlamov and Vanacek now, and I know I'm forgetting a few, but Yeah, and you wonder why that years, is because Washington's always had some pretty good teams, too. Yeah. You know? Maybe it's just that they have so many – they have such goaltending depth that the goaltenders who actually are pretty good can't get in the net. Yeah, that's fair. Samsonov, I mean, he's backing up essentially Murray in Toronto now. He was very highly regarded in Washington. That didn't work he out. He was. He was. I mean, Vanacek's numbers are, at least the wins losses, impressive. Yeah. Grubauer is another one. Good point. Grubauer had a great year in Colorado, and yeah. now, you know, he's he's in Seattle. They've uh they've done well at that position, the the yeah. caps, and I think the Devils have had a history of decent goaltenders, starting with Marty Brodeur, and right. maybe they're hoping that Vanacek is that guy. Is like I said, his wins loss is impressive. The save percentage is okay, you know, nine. But 10. they don't give up shots. That's the yeah. thing, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, all right, I understand what you're saying about save percentage. Save percentage is tied to some degree to the team in front of the goalie. How many shots are they allowing? How many of those shots are scoring chances? If a goalie's only seeing 20 shots in a game regularly, and let's say five of them are scoring chances, I'm I'm guessing his save percentage is just going to be okay, right? So what I am looking at is 
the Devils have a corner on the market of finishing or being in fourth place in the league standings in a variety of categories. Goals for, goals against, shots for, shots against, they are fourth or tied for fourth in all of those categories. And when I say goals against and shots against, I'm talking about fewest. Yeah. Like in a good way. So they are among the league leaders. That's why I said they're a little bit like Carolina yesterday. They they have the puck a lot. They get a lot of shots. They don't give up a lot. They don't give up a lot of shots. Their goals for goals against is terrific. They're among the best five-on-five teams ratio-wise in the NHL because their power play is like middle of the pack. So if you're in net, you're getting a lot of help from the team in front of you in that you know, you're not seeing a lot of shots. You're not seeing 30-plus shots a night. So if you give up two to three, your save percentage is not going to be as high as a guy who's regularly seeing that many shots and not allowing, you know, three to four goals a game. That's why I think the save percentage, like to look at it in a vacuum, you have to understand the team that the goaltender plays for to put that number in context. To me, goals against average is usually like that's the one that's kind of at the end of the day. How many goals are you allowing, right? If you're allowing less than three, you're giving your team a very good chance to win by the John Cooper metric. If it's three or more, your team may have to outscore some problems. Yeah. Which you can still have a really good goaltender, right? And you're giving three more because your team just in front of you is giving up, you know, a, a ridiculous amount of good scoring chances. So, but the goals against average number actually tells you how many pucks are going in the net. The save percentage number is tied to number of shots. True. And if your team doesn't give up a lot of shots, your save percentage is probably going to be a little bit lower than some goalies who are seeing, relative to to you, more shots, but kind of allowing around the same number of goals. See, I, I look at it the other way. I look at if you're giving up 25 shots a game, you got to be stopping 24 of them. You know, like I, I think the less, yeah, I the, less volume, the less volume, I, I think you just need. You can't give up softies, but they're tied fourth in goals allowed per game as a team. They are 2.64. They are. So they are doing a good job. And I mean, we're not saying that Vanacek save percentage is bad. You're just saying that it's not as high as maybe some other goaltenders. Yeah, I, I, nine ten just doesn't. It seems average to me. Yeah, but that's, you know, and then you factor in how they're playing that number. I I wonder if there's a little bit more to it. You know, well, they're not maybe. giving up as many shots. They're not giving up as many goals. OK. Yeah, so I respect I respect your point of view there. We'll Look, see. if you're holding the other team to 25 shots, you know, your goalie, you're going to say he needs to be stopping 23 of them. I mean, look, as much which as would wanna... give you a save percentage above 910. <laughs> it would. Yeah. It would. But you know what though, Dave, we're going to see this team for the first time. So we'll have a, a good chance to evaluate them a little bit with our own eyes here. Yes. Over the next week, which I think is going to be encouraging. You know, they have some interesting numbers on their team. So Tomas Tatar is plus 38. He's second in the league. Now, they have another guy, Ryan Graves, who's plus 30. 
Graves shouldn't be shocking because a few years ago in Colorado, he led the NHL. He was plus 40. So he tends to be a defenseman when he's put on a team that's doing well. Mm -hmm. He tends to do very well in the plus minus category. I confess I was surprised that Tatar is the guy who's leading their team in plus minus. Yeah. But not surprisingly, other than the guys they they basically acquired via trades, like Timo Meyer is a big minus because he was in San Jose for, for much of the year. Most of their players are plus. There is one exception, though. And I thought Sharon Govich was injured. He really impressed me last year. He had 24 goals last year for yeah. them. I believe he's been a healthy scratch five straight games. And like, how is this guy healthy scratched? And he's got double digit goals this year. He's minus six. So again, the yeah. plus minus, you have to kind of, that's another one. You almost have to take not in a vacuum. You have to understand, you know, what's happening for the player. Like, why is he plus or minus but when there's a huge gap between one player and the rest of the team that is notable what do you take from that what i take from that is that sharon govich unlike most of his teammates has had a combination of being on the ice for probably yeah. too many goals allowed and not being on the ice for goal scored and as a guy who has been a goal scorer that probably is an indication that the season has not gone for him as well as maybe he would have liked, even though there has been incredible team success, and might explain why right now he's sitting. It yeah. also coincided with the arrival of Meyer, so I'm unclear. Without having talked to the Devils people yet, I'm unclear if one one was related to the other. But I confess I'm a little surprised that he isn't even in the lineup. He had five points against the Lightning last year. His last in three games feels like an ad for a, a law firm. <laughs> yes, doesn't it? it makes me laugh. Except it would be two names. It would be not one. That is interesting. <laughs> Sharon Govich. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dougie Hamilton has eighteen goals this year. The only guy with more on defense in the NHL this year is Eric Carlson. Is he as poor defensively? As his reputation. Well, how do you explain plus it. plus thirty then? Yeah, well, that's his plus minus this yeah. year. Yeah, this year for sure. Sorry, I'm looking. I'm looking at a different stat. Let's see what his plus minus. His plus minus is not plus thirty. I'm going to look it up. Where is Dougie Hamilton? Come on, Dougie. I know. Teach me how to I'm, Dougie. I'm I'm trying to operate this and it's That's not right. cooperating. Dougie Hamilton points plus twenty six. Right, well, that's pretty good. Good number. Yeah, that's pretty good. Always been labeled though as somebody that wasn't very good in his own end. The year that I was looking, so I had a different year up because I was seeing the other year that he had eighteen goals. That was in Carolina. Yeah, and one of the years he was in Carolina, he was plus thirty. But Carolina has been, while he was there toward the end, a top team. So you put Dougie Hamilton on a team that is elite, it seems like he's not a liability defensively. Yeah. Is that fair? Maybe. That might be one of those things, too, where you just have to talk to people who follow yeah, like defensive tendencies. and see, Is he that poor in his own end? Is it bad luck? What is it? How many teams has he played for in his career? Three? 
Well, Boston, Calgary. Boston, that's right. Carolina. Forget that. New Jersey. Well, he started. He was the guy that pushed Stamkos down when Stamkos broke yeah. his leg. I mean, there was no malicious intent there. For somebody but. that skilled, it's a lot of teams. Yeah, I mean, I think that Boston was not as enamored with him after a couple of years, and I, I honestly can't remember if that had to do more with his on-ice play or, or stuff going on off the ice or maybe a combination of both. But the teams that have acquired him have been excited to acquire him, and that Calgary-Carolina deal, Greg, was a big multiplayer deal. Noah Hannafin went to Calgary. He's still there. Lindholm went to Calgary in that deal. He's still there. Of course, Hamilton went to Carolina, and he's no longer there a couple of years in New Jersey, but I think New Jersey's been happy with him. Certainly this year they've been happy with him. He's always had a huge upside offensively. Yes. You know, always been a good points producer. With that size, I think a lot of people just wanted him to be, you know, better in his own zone, whether that means just physically or just positionally, whatever it was. I think there were just some things there that, you know, um, when you factor in all of Dougie Hamilton's skill sets, there's a lot to like there. So, you know, uh, putting it together and maybe also, too, having a coach that's demanding, you know, be pretty good mm-hmm. uh, defensively also helps. By the way, partner, Anthony Sorelli on the ice today. Yeah. That is good news. Very as good you pointed, news. As you pointed out, made the, mm-hmm. made the trip. So we'll keep that in mind as, you know, the... Uh, the next few games continue to unfold. Do we want to get into some questions? You yeah, wanna, let's. You, know, you want to take a break first, and then we'll let's get to a question. Then we'll then we'll go to right. uh, then we'll go to a break here. And we had a lot of uh, people weigh in. Uh, this was from uh, Basil yesterday. He said the team's going to be fine, relaxed. They're in the middle of a brutal stretch of games, playing decently, generating chances, applying pressure. Hedman had plenty of open net to tie the game, but at the post, stay healthy for the playoffs. That's the key. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that. Stay mm-hmm. healthy. Is basically That's what you what, said. Yeah, you yeah. said you're not worried about the Lightning. You said if they lose their last 15 in yeah. a row, maybe a little bit. He's like, I'm not too concerned about what's going to happen here down the stretch other than get into the playoffs healthy. Yeah, and I know that probably doesn't satisfy a ton of people out there who want to look for more systemic issues with the Lightning. Maybe they're Maybe they'll be there. And, and maybe the playoffs will magnify what everybody was concerned about in the regular season. I mean, time will tell. We just don't know. Uh, he also said, failing to score on the five-on-three power play was costly. Hard not to get a goal there. But they had a lot of chances. Can't really fault the team. But it hurt and probably gave Jets some confidence. Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you kill a five-on-three, the other team should feel pretty good about it. Yeah. And I thought the Jets, as we mentioned yesterday, they deed up pretty well in the third period, which basically the third period began right after they killed off the five-on-three because it was late in the second. So I think they gained a little boost from that. Yeah, I think they did too. Um, and then lastly, Basil says, whoa, Greg usually says the ref should call the game the way they see it, no matter how the game unfolds now greg says the ref should call the game differently because vassy is a star in the league (laughs) which way do you want it that is a loyal listener right there i love it love it i mean you could make a case though when you run into the goaltender it should have been called right yeah a call was made the call was made that 
there was incidental contact. Yeah. I mean, there was a call made. They had to make a decision. It wasn't like, let's put the whistles away. It was the wrong call. And that's how I looked at it. But, you know, look, yeah. at any league, I think, is, is fair that star players do get star treatment. I mean, I think it's fair to say in any sport. Yeah. Did you see that? So the GMs are meeting. And these are just like they, they go into small groups to discuss different topics. And they're just discussing them. This is not an indication that this is going to happen. But a couple of things that they were looking at was expanding review for puck out of play delay of game and potentially like high stick by your own teammate which sometimes the officials can can ask to look at that anyway so i'm not sure why you would need a a coach's challenge review for it but that's interesting i don't know if that's going to happen it was kind of like the the counter to that was well, if we're going to look at video replay for puck out of play, where does it stop? Like, are we going to look at video replay for every potential penalty? And I understand the concern with that. Sure. The other thing that they were looking at was trying to trying to curb fights that come after clean hits. This is really interesting. So I think I read the numbers were there have been – I'm going to have to look it up again. I'm probably not getting this quite right, but something like of 100 fights, 89 of them took place after a clean hit. Sorry. It was of 100 fights that took place after a hit, 89 of them were deemed to be clean hits, (laughs) essentially. And then there was a high percentage where, you know, there was no penalty, no additional penalty called on the play, basically, for the guy who started the fight. Because officials are hesitant to call instigation because it's a 17-minute penalty. Basically, what the GMs want to do is not have players have to answer for a clean hit with a fight. It's the dumbest thing in sports. Yeah. So they're aware of it. And it's happening. Like, a lot of the fights that happen in the league this year have happened this year are the result of a check on a teammate, and the vast majority of those checks have been clean. If fans looked it up, I may have gotten, I'm not looking at the numbers in front of me, but that's the gist of the rule, <laughs> or the gist of the problem, basically, and and the GMs are trying to figure out a way to allow a clean hit to be a clean hit, and that's the end of it. Yeah, I think that's going to be good luck with enforcing that thing. I just think it's yeah, and how you even how you even do that? Like, do you make the the instigation penalty more severe? You know, do you, do you make it less severe? I mean, I'm not entirely certain they know, but they're trying to do it within the framework of the existing rule book. You know, between that and the stage fights, just it's brutal. It's just brutal. There's no need for it. I think a lot of coaches though are going to have a hard time with that rule. Because I think a lot of them believe you need to defend your teammate. Mm-hmm. Well, there is no rule right now, and there may not be a rule. I'm just saying that the GMs yeah. are aware that this is happening, and they want to try and curb it, which I think you and I are on board with. So is Phil. When did when did that really become an issue? When did that start? I should say. You make a clean hit, and you got to fight. Well, we I mean, have fewer big hits now in the game. Honestly. Yeah. Also, there's been a lot of attention, rightly so placed on hits that are not clean and in the heat of the moment you know a teammate sees one of his 
buddies go down on a hit that he thinks might not be clean, right? But most of these fights are happening after hits that are, in fact, clean. What's more of a pet peeve, you think, for our audience? Or maybe even for Phil? The stage fight or answering on a clean check? I don't know. We'd have to ask him. We don't see the staged fights that often, though. Yeah, I think we, we see the, the other category more. A lot more. Mm-hmm. Good questions. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Got some more lined up here at Bolts Radio. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can. He's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Linelli. Steve Versnick's our producer. Back after this on Lightning Radio. Hey, Lightning fans. Marty St. Louis here. I'm coming back to town next week for a special night. The inaugural Hall of Fame ceremony will be Friday, March 17th. I would like for you guys to join me. I'm honored to go in with my ex-teammate, great friend, Vinny LeCavalier, and Hall of Famer Phil Esposito. I've had plenty of great memories in Tampa with the 04 Cup, my jersey retirement, and, uh, and now uh, this uh, Hall of Fame uh, induction for the Lightning. So it should be a good night. Please join us and celebrate. Thanks. You're listening to Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli. Keep those questions coming. We appreciate it at Bolts Radio. Lightning taking on the Devils tonight. Good test for both teams. Mish and I were talking about the Devils and what to expect. Vanacek looks like he's going to get the start, right, partner? Yeah. Curtis Lazar is going to make his New Jersey debut. They acquired him from Vancouver. Yeah. Good depth forward. Yeah. And he does have some playoff experience, a little bit. And you mentioned Vanacek is starting. They have Andre Pallad on the third line with Halla and Boquist. They put Meyer with Hughes and Bratt. So they've thrown him right onto their, I guess you would call it their top line. They have another line that's really good, though. He's here to tar and Dawson Mercer, who had an eight-game goal streak and a 12-game point streak that just ended in the Carolina game. They beat Carolina 3-0 on Sunday, but that was a game in which Mercer did not record a point, so his point streak ended. He's a good talented player. player. Very yeah, he's talented. a good player. Yeah. Jack Hughes, I mean, it, the pedigree's there, but he's he's going to hit 40 this year. And he sure, it, it seems like, has been that guy, Dave. They That second-line center, potentially, somebody who can do a lot of things defensively, chip mm-hmm. in offensively too. I mean, high draft picks for sure, and you want those guys to pan out and be probably really impactful players. Hughes, I think, is is certainly that guy now uh, with the year that he's having. You know, Palat's always interesting because I'd want to say he's your typical tweener, but he is somebody that can play in the top two lines. He can play in a, in a bottom six, can't he? Yeah, absolutely. You know? But he was so good for the Lightning during their playoff runs, and he complimented the lines he was on so well because he had a lot of grit, but he could score. You know, wasn't going to score 25 a year, but he could get you 20, 22. And often he would have maybe not more goals, but more goals per game in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's the thing about the Lightning, Dave, you know, over the years, we talked about their star players who have performed well. The two guys that come to mind, although, you know, he didn't he didn't score as much as he'd like last year, but they've always had always had guys who in the playoffs 
maybe outperformed their regular season metrics. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was Plot or Kalorn, those were two guys that always stood out who elevated their play. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Kalorn could be coming at a good time, too. He's been playing well. He so has we'll been. We'll see that, you know, kind of uh, moves forward. You know, that, that Hagel question, I think, is always a fascinating one because we saw him be so effective with both lines. And he was, he's was he been on, what, the Sorelli-Kalorn line most recently. And yeah. they've been really good. And I, I think... I think I'm more inclined to say that's going to be the shutdown defensive line. Mm-hmm. I do. You know, as much as I love having Hagel on that first line, I just I don't know if you can take away what he can bring collectively to that second line. Well, before Sorelli got hurt, they did have Hagel with Sorelli and Kalorn to match against the Mark Shifley line mm-hmm. Sunday against the Jets. So when yeah. the other team, I mentioned this at the start of the homestand. Because the Lightning were seeing the Flyers, and I think in that game, Hagel was with Sorelli and Kalorn. But I said, you know, a team like the Flyers maybe doesn't have a clear-cut top line, or or let's put it this way. Their top line is not at the level of other teams' top lines that you'd say, ooh, we got to really watch out for this line. Yeah. That's no offense to the Flyers. That's just the way their team is constructed, and they're going to miss the playoffs this year. So they are they are looking for a line. No, you like know what? That. It, it it is offense to the Flyers. They they're <laughs> well, not very good. <laughs> we're we're trying to we're trying to yeah, spell right. it out as as fairly sure. and clearly as we can. And you could make the argument that Vegas maybe had a couple of lines, like the Eichel line was dangerous, but you know the line with with Riley Smith is also dangerous too. But what I said at the time was maybe when Winnipeg comes in, because Kyle Connor is such a weapon offensively, and at the time Dubois wasn't hurt. <laughs> he he subsequently got hurt by the time the teams met. But it was clear going into that game that, that line with Shafley and Connor was going to be a line the Lightning wanted to match against. They had Colin Chernak out there against them, and they had Sorelli's line with Kalorn and Hagel. And I think when you get into a playoff series, you're probably going to be seeing a team. Certainly, Toronto can boast a couple of really dangerous lines. But you're going to be seeing opponents that they have a line that you're going to want to match against. Best you can. Maybe when the line there on the road, Hagel, Hagel moves to a different line. I don't know. I'm talking about in the playoffs. Sure. Because it's a little harder to match. We'll see. Toronto's a tough matchup, too, because they have the Matthews line and they have the Tavares line. Yep. Both those lines are dangerous lines. Yeah, Yeah. pick your poison. By the way, Matt Lachlan texted me saying Akira Schmid is in net, who's basically on emergency recall because Blackwood's been hurt. I guess Blackwood is skating. So we'll wait and see. So the Devils beat writer had Vanacek as the starter, but... Matt, their longtime radio announcer, texted me Schmied in goal. So he, must he may have gotten some information. Yeah. Either way, yeah, either way, the Lightning are going to see Vanacek. I don't see Schmied playing all three games against the Lightning this week, although Schmied has done well since he's come up. They have a lot of Swiss-born players on their team, adding Meyer now, and Schmied called up from the minors. I don't know what to make of that. Well, what you make of it is that Switzerland is producing more NHLers now. They are, for sure. He's here. He's here, Swiss. They had four playing in the, in the same game 
last week. They had a game against Washington. They had four Swiss-born players. Siegenthaler is the other. I think that helps, too, in a locker room. If you can get a couple of guys from the same country, you know, mm-hmm. outside of U.S. and in Canada, obviously. Yeah, I think that I think that is nice for sure. Uh, Matt says, "I feel like they've done this the last few years." I'm trying not to panic because they seem to kick it into gear when the playoffs hit. Just have to wait and see what happens. He is right. We mentioned that mm-hmm. yesterday. That in the last two regular seasons, prior to this one, they have not exactly been clicking on all cylinders no. in the home stretch. But you see what I mean about like the the fans, I think they they just they need another catalyst to panic that'll that'll allow them to say it's okay to panic, because I think a lot of them do. And I, I'm not saying Matt is in that boat, but I think there are a lot of people who are just about to jump off giving the lightning the benefit of the doubt narrative. And if somebody can give them another good reason, like if somebody gives them a stat that jives with their belief in why the Lightning aren't doing well and why this could be the year they get bounced in the first round, I think they'll take that and they'll run with it. I've seen it a lot this year. How much do you think, and I, you know I do not do this, I do not tweet very much anyway but i certainly do not i mean it would be hard for me to quote unquote live tweet as some people do but there are some reporters who live tweet through games and a lot of fans live tweet through games and they are kind of memorializing on the computer kind of what they are thinking in the moment right so like your team gives up a breakaway goal and you're you're sharing your opinion about that like you often talk about being a prisoner of the moment. Do you think that the immediacy of being able to express our opinions through social media has added to this? Because what you're saying is not only like the 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 live tweeting during a game is is more extreme almost than reacting to a loss, right? So if if people are reacting to an individual play and actually typing it out on their phone or on their computer, how much has that accelerated this process? You know what I'm saying? Like 25 years ago, were people reacting the same way when their team hit a little bit of a dip, or were they more measured about it? I'm just wondering. This is probably Probably not a question we can can answer (laughs) with any sort of scientific data, but it seems to me that the the immediacy of the reaction to an individual play or one particular outcome, like everything has gotten amplified. Maybe that's the way I should put it. I would agree with that. That's probably where talk shows 20, 25 years ago, they became that outlet. Yeah, that's you a know, good point. For a, lot of, for a lot of people who didn't have access, obviously, to social media. So, or I know my grandfather would write letters to the editor. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. like in an opinion piece, you'd have to write it in. Yeah. And it would be in the paper. So I think there were ways. I think I think the conversations probably were there. I think like anything, it's just gaslit so much today because it's I, I was thinking about this the other day. The human brain, it's probably not wired this way where you have all this information at once. Like I I don't think we were meant to have all of this information 
and then to process all of it and then have all of these emotions and kind of form your own opinion because you have so many different directions where you could go. It's just, I think it's hard to do. I think it's why people's attention spans are probably, you know, a lot quicker and it's, it's hard to process everything because I think lost in all of it, you sometimes aren't able to form your own opinion because you're so worried about everybody else's because you have access to it. Yeah. You know, it's just more of a, a wide, a wide range take. Jay says, can you guys get Breezewa on the show to talk about the plans to replenish a currently weaker prospect pool and few future draft picks? Would be nice to get an update on whether or not who's the defense Matt Crozier is signing after Providence's NCA season. Mm-hmm. Max. Max Crozier. Or Max, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Well, look, I think we've addressed the depleted, if that's the word you want to use, prospect pool. This is the part that I struggle with when talking to fans. It's why are we worried about the farm system when the team is currently in the midst of one of the tremendous runs we've ever seen in NHL history when you factor in the the cap and the parity in the league today? I don't think, Dave, the lack of prospects in the Lightning system has prevented them from winning. Would you agree with that? Well, of course I would agree. Yeah. I mean, five years from now, is that is that going to be different? I don't know. I think the fan, though, wants to hear from the general manager. I think that we could put in a request for, for Julian. We may have to wait until the playoffs are over. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be in the mood to talk about prospect pools while the team is gearing up for the playoffs but look so what did you say you're not worried about the prospect pool but as the general manager he does need to worry about the prospect pool like do you worry about it less but do you worry maybe worry is the wrong word but he has to be aware of kind of the give and take of yes but i think i think where julian is based off of his actions he's less concerned about the prospect pool than winning right now he's made clear what his priority is and his priority is to give this team another shot the best shot that he can to make a run at another stanley cup but he has done it without like you think of well they mortgage the future you know like he's bringing in players that he plans to keep beyond this year certainly tanner Janot. i think they'd like to keep acimon we'll see how that plays out we saw that with Paul and Hagel last year. Like they make moves not just for the rest of the season that we are in, but to to kind of I don't want to use the word supplement, but they're they're adding to their to the makeup of the organization for down the road as well. Yeah, You're just and- doing it differently. Like I think you made a great point, Greg. Like instead of right now drafting a player at eighteen having that player develop, maybe get to the NHL four or five years later, they're basically using their their prospects and their draft capital to get a player that another team has developed, essentially, they're but still at now. the beginning of the career in the NHL. Right. That's ready to play now. Yeah, that's ready to play now. 
I'm wondering too if people get if it gets lost on people, Dave, that when you look at the Lightning, their core is still relatively young. I think sometimes that gets lost on people when mm-hmm. they talk about having to restock the pipeline. Look, at some point, Julian Breezal may have to make some tough decisions when it comes to the core group of players that make up the Lightning's roster right now. I think that's fair, but we're not there yet. You know, we don't have to fast forward mm-hmm. three, four years down the road. While you're in the moment of winning, enjoy it. Braden Point just turned 27 yesterday. That's incredible, isn't it? That's an incredible, incredible uh, accomplishments, what he has done so far in this league. And it's, he's young. Yeah. Relatively speaking, he's young. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can. This question comes from, let's see here. Dave wants to know, guys, what do you make of Belmar being a healthy scratch? Do you think he gets back in? And what do you think the fourth line looks like? So the Lightning have one extra forward, and they want AC Mont to play, and they've used him at center. So I think some of that on the fourth line. So I think some of that has led to Belmar being out. Apparently, Belmar was was banged up a little bit because I think he was actually an injured scratch for one of those games. I think he's going to get back in. I don't know when. I don't think this is going to be the lineup. Understanding we may have injuries. Yeah. I don't. I would not expect that this is going to be the exact lineup for the next 15 games. No. You know, and Asimon has looked good, especially a couple of games ago. Is he going to be somebody that starts the postseason on the fourth line? Does he have to start filling the net a little bit, partner, to justify staying in the lineup? I don't know. He's getting chances. Depends on what you want from your fourth line. I don't think he does. I think if he brings energy and jump and solid play and possession, I think that he's doing everything they ask of him. If he pops in a goal or two, that would be great. Yeah. But you you can definitely tell he gets under the other team's skin, doesn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he does. He definitely... uh... Can pick that up. As far as Belmar, I mean, I think a nice security blanket for John Cooper. I think, you know, if the team has a chance to improve on the fourth line and get faster, he's probably the logical guy to come out. I think Pat Maroon's done enough partner to stay in. Mm-hmm. I think they like what he can bring energy-wise. And um, I think he's effective. That's the one thing about Pat Maroon's game. Everybody wants to talk about his lack of a foot speed, but I think he's found a way to be productive outside of fighting in the National Hockey League to hold down a spot. You know, I think he protects the puck pretty well. I think he's skilled enough where he can make some plays mm-hmm. in the offensive zone. And, you know, as long as he's not playing 15 minutes a night, I think you're feeling pretty good about what he what he can bring to the team. So, I, I don't know. I think, for me, Belmar's probably the one guy he'd probably look at to you know come out of the lineup if you believe that Asimon is the is the guy to come in. Well, they are facing a team in the three games this week that that is among the fastest. They can, they can skate the fastest and they play the fastest 
from what we've heard, I mean, I'm going off of, I've heard it from enough different people who have watched the Devils this year. So how will the guys that don't have great foot speed on the Lightning manage that? I will point out that one of the most effective lines for the Lightning in the Stanley Cup final last year against a very fast team, Colorado, was Belmar, Perry, and Maroon because they had the puck in the offensive zone and they just cycled it and forced the Avs to play defense. That's that's their formula, but they need to get the puck and get it in deep and force their maybe speedier opponent to to have to work because they are big and strong, right? And they can hold on to the puck. That's what we were just saying about Maroon. Yeah. For sure. It's a good question. And it's something to keep in mind uh, moving forward as uh, the Lightning continue to, you know, find their game, as we like to say, taking on the Devils tonight. Uh, before we sign off, partner, anything you're going to be looking for tonight with this Devils team that uh, you've heard so much about? And now we get a chance up close to see what they have. Well, if we come on the air tomorrow, Greg, and we're saying this game felt maybe not quite as extreme, but felt like the game a little over a week ago in Carolina, that means it's been a long night for the Lightning. They want to level possession against this team. They want to try and make the Devils defend and not have the puck. And if the Devils get going in transition, the Lightning have to make sure they're back defensively so they're not giving up chances off the rush. And those are broad strokes, but... Beyond that, what the Lightning did better in the homestand was have the puck more, which is kind of what I'm saying they need to do tonight, but they had the puck more in the four home games, all four of them. They outpossessed the other team, and they cut down on the number of chances against, which was good, in the last three games especially. But in the last three games, the chances that they allowed were too dangerous. Like the number of high-quality opposition chances we're probably still too many. So if we are going to look for like the perfect game tonight for the Lightning, I'd like to see the Lightning be level or better in possession. I think they'd like to keep the chance number down for the Devils, and I'd like to see the high danger chance be low for the Devils as well. Yeah, and, and I then the result will be what the result will be. But that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping to see tonight anyway. Yeah. All right, well, let's have that pregame skate show earlier today or later today at 6 o'clock, and then, of course, we'll have the network pregame at 6.30, and then, partner, you will have the game call at 7 o'clock, yep. and I'll talk to you then, and then we'll be in this in this setting again tomorrow, noon to 1. Keep those questions flowing in. should be a lot of fun, no doubt about it, uh, tonight, Lightning and Devils getting after it partner great job as always appreciate you and we'll do it again tomorrow and we'll talk tonight we will talk tonight which we and we talk every day it's <laughs> yes, a great we thing do. thanks to steve Hersnick as well we always appreciate his help uh, and again hit us up on twitter at bolts radio if you want to get involved in any of the conversations we've had over the uh the last few days get the those comments in we'll talk to you tonight you've been listening to power lunch on lightning radio